0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Core Consult Rx Podcast, episode 90. Wow. Cole, what's going on, man? Nothing much. I'm glad to be back in the chair. Yes, the chair. Mm-hmm. We've been, uh, sounding like we're barbers or something.
1: Well, you know, we could do an episode from a
0: barbershop sometime.
1: That'd be cool. They did a blood pressure study from a barbershop. Remember yes, that? Yes, they did, and we talked
0: about it. Did we? I think we did. Cool. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. I don't know what episode that is, so we can't mm-hmm. reference it, but that's fine. That's we'll right. It it's one of our...
1: 50 episodes
0: about blood pressure. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, we've been a little slack this month. Only published one episode, I think, so far. Yeah. But we'll try to catch up on the back end. As long as we put out at least four episodes a month, even if they're all at the end. Even if they're all on the same day. Yeah, we feel like we've accomplished something. We're doing it right. So, uh, yeah, people have asked me, like, how do you guys plan on the schedule? (laughs) I "I don't know if you've seen our podcast release dates, but there is no schedule. What does the word schedule mean? It's very Yeah, uh, some do it, like, on the same day every week.
1: Some do it twice a week. We just do it when we can. Twice a week needs to be our goal. Well, you know, I was thinking today, just as I was listening to other podcasts, most people are able, it's like part of their job, like their their job description involves a podcast or somewhere right. during their workday they can do a podcast. We have to schedule two different work schedules right. for us to get together and then record. It's
0: extremely difficult. It does help that we live in the same neighborhood, but still, it yeah, is difficult. Yeah, that's true. We do. So... Um, yeah, I don't know why we felt, but I need to tell you all that, but that's it. That's I was just, the I mean, <laughs> when else do we get to talk? <laughs> that's a good point. So, uh, today's episode, we're going to kind of go over and, and I know we've talked about hypertension, just like Cole said a lot, but we're going to kind of go over some, I guess, tricks and tips, if you will, for helping, uh, patients that have like resistant, hypertension. So you've already tried like the standard dosing and um, regimens and whatnot and still not getting their blood pressure controlled. And the the reason for this kind of topic, we were figuring out what we're going to talk about today um, is if you haven't seen it, there's a study that came out um, fairly recently uh, talking about, you know, dosing, what time of day is best to dose medication. So we're going to go through that and then we'll go through some of the other things. So some of this may be review, um, some of it may be new, right, well, hopefully it's useful for you. But, um, Cole, anything going on in your life that you want to share before we get started? Anything cool that you can think of? Same old, same old? Same old, same old, man.
1: Just, uh, I will say, I didn't give a vaccine in the last two days, and I'm feeling great. Really? Yeah. So the main issue now is, you know, the new year with all the insurances. So a lot of the Blue Cross Blue Shield plans switch from Caremark as their PBM to Optum. Ah. So like everybody, we're having to get new info on. So that's a
0: pain. But, huh. you know, Club Pharmacy. Club Pharmacy is what it is, and uh, Adam, uh, Doctor Adam Martin's got a new book out. Yes, he does. So uh, we'll post some stuff about that. Figure throw that shout out for him. He it's it turned out really good. Like I was really impressed. Yeah, you Um, wrote a chapter, right? I did. It was it was like an it was an interview. Oh, nice. Um, So I think he had one of his intern student interns like uh, me and he turned it into a chapter. Cool. But um, yeah, I think came out really really good. I I was impressed. But we have uh, we have video footage of him. Uh, him, Rich, and me in Miami talking about that idea that he had for that book back in like it's like January of 2018 or something. Yeah, two right. years ago almost. And uh, he was talking about all his ideas for it and stuff and how he wanted it to look and he was getting all pumped up about it. And uh, so we had we had recorded some vlog or something that had him talking about that. So I thought that was pretty funny. And what's ironic is they all made fun of me for recording a <laughs> vlog and turns out ha two years later. Ended up being useful footage. So yeah, two and
1: a half years ago, I was walking around with a GoPro filming you for the vlog. <laughs> That's right.
0: What a horrible rotation.
1: <laughs> There's at least three days where I was just walking around with a GoPro filming. That's my... right.
0: We were at Hollings Cancer Center. Like we, we did a talk
1: there. I was in the car riding to Columbia, just like sitting there filming you while you talked.
0: Oh man, those were the days, days, man. Those were the days. Well, God. now we have wireless lav mics. We have like, yeah. <laughs> much more expensive cameras. All the good stuff. So, yeah, Cole was at the very, very beginning, early stages. He was mm-hmm. like, What is this guy doing? Me and Stacy. This guy's an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so far, so good. All right. So, I guess, do you want to just start off with uh, talking through this new study, kind of yeah. going through it? So, yeah, we're
1: um, not super late to the game. It was published in 2019, but uh, October of 2019. <laughs> uh, it's called the Bedtime Hypertension Treatment Improves Cardiovascular Risk Reduction. Um, it's kind of a weird name, the Hygia Chronotherapy Trial. It's probably an easier way to find it. Hygieia is H-Y-G-I-A. Uh, but essentially, it's similar to the MAPEC trial, M-A-P-E-C, that uh, is usually what's referenced, one of the ones that's referenced for advocating for dosing one uh, blood pressure medication at bedtime. Uh, so that's what they did. Um, it was multi-centered, controlled um, Prospective trial with an endpoint, it had about 19,000 patients versus the MAPEC trial that only had 2,100. Uh, so I would say that's pretty considerable. Um, essentially, they had patients dose at least one, uh, if not more, of their blood pressure medications at night. That was one arm. There's about 9,000 patients in that arm, 9,000 in the other arm, of dosing all uh, medications in the morning. And the uh, nighttime
0: dosing did have considerably better results. Yeah, and this whole idea kind of came about because of this this idea of of dippers versus non-dippers. So I'm not sure if you guys have heard that exact terminology before. I'm sure you've heard us reference it at some point. But um, what it is is, you know, under normal, what we consider, quote-unquote, normal circumstances, nocturnal blood pressure, right, should actually... Be a little bit lower than your daytime blood pressure. This is kind of like normal, you know, circadian, normal, you know, physiological rhythm that that happens. Now there, it turns out that there is a lot of patients, and um, in, in the MAPIC trial specifically, it was around 50% of the patients actually were considered non-dippers. So their blood pressure actually went up uh, at night, and so. This kind of because originally we just kind of assumed everyone's blood pressure went down. So now we realize it's a huge majority of the population that actually goes up. um, They started wondering, you know, if if early morning, you know, breakfast time dosing of blood pressure was really the best option. So that's kind of what Mapec was looking at originally um, was this whole dippers versus non-dippers phenomenon. And so, you know, the the big thing with this new study that came out is it kind of echoed the results, like Cole said, of that MAPEG trial with a lot more patients this time. Um, And the the thing that they don't really specify is which medication to dose at bedtime. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I, I don't know.
1: They did, Yeah, they didn't really care. It was like just dose one, dose one, and of they them. still saw the results. So if you got a little more technical, you might even be able to in your practice get better results.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I know for me personally, if I'm gonna do because I've I've kind of gone off this for a while, where I'll, I'll, if there's multiple medications, I try to get them to take one at night. Um, I usually aim for one either the ACE or the ARB that the patient may may be on, um, because. You know, if you think about it, the RAS system is typically more active at night. And so it just, to, to me, makes more sense dosing the um, ACE or ARB at nighttime. Um, if you think back to, like, the HOPE trial, they used, um, or MicroHOPE, they used um, Ramapril mm-hmm. in patients with type 2 diabetes to see how it affected, like, microvascular events. Um, they got positive results out of that trial, and they dosed the Ramapril at nighttime. Um, and so... Yeah, that's kind of what I've always gone off of. Um, and there was a, a Medscape article actually that was written in October. Um, there was kind of a review of this. And uh, it said that they actually, when they look, when you like break the data down, um, and I actually just just looked up this, this is great, this is perfect uh, evidence to my point, according to this author anyway. <laughs> um, it says that there's, it appears to be particularly important for patients taking ACE inhibitors or ARBs, um, for which we found a larger benefit with bedtime dosing. He's quoting one of the authors, I guess, in the discussion part. Um, so that's good. Yeah. But uh, that's, that's kind of the, what I've always thought about as the rest system being more active at night, so it just kind of makes sense. Makes sense, kind of like dosing um, statins at night, at bedtime, because you know. Cholesterol is more.
1: Yep, Uh, we were also talking a little bit about lisinopril um, dosing, which we'll get into a little later on with QD versus BID, but if you think about the half-life, if you're concerned for a non-dipper, it might make more sense to dose that one at night versus a calcium channel blocker or something, uh, which are you know two common combo drugs. Um, A little bit of the data, from this study. I mean, it was pretty significant. So they had 1,752 patients that had a primary cardiovascular um, event, like cardiovascular death, MI, revascularization, heart failure, or stroke, uh, and looking at the uh, bedtime dosing versus the all morning dosing. Um, in each individual outcome, it looks like they it was significant. So cardiovascular death, p-value was significant. Um, in the revascularization it was significant heart failure and stroke uh, and then if you combine them all um, the composite was was uh, significant the American Academy of Family Physicians put out a little article blurb about it and seemed to be in favor um, based on the hazard ratio of the mortality that looks like there's a death rate drop of about 45 percent which when you present presented that way it definitely sounds significant I don't I don't know if that's you know is, is With 19,000 patients, it wasn't 45% of those. It was like of the patients who died of the 1,700, 45% reduction. But still, uh, pretty significant. The concerns that they seem to have have to do with like a thiazide diuretic, probably not going to be the best one to do at night because they'll be you know up and out of bed all the time peeing. Um, but otherwise, having one of them at bedtime seems to be good. Um, there is improved average blood pressure control in general, um, an enhanced decrease in uh, a sleep of blood pressure so just their blood pressure while they're sleeping generally goes lower and then the sleep time relative blood pressure decline so over the whole time that they're asleep, there's an overall uh, decrease so essentially the blood pressure dipping. Um, some people raise concerns about just doing this flatly for all patients because you know you might be concerned for, Orthostatic hypotension or uh, when they wake up or their blood pressure just dropping too low when they're asleep in general um, So, you know in general, I, I probably wouldn't do all of their blood pressure medications at night because I mean the data says you only need at least one um, If adherence is an issue, then of course you'd have to address that but otherwise getting one of those at bedtime seems to be pretty good
0: And if you look looking through some of the data, you know, they talk about this dipper versus non-dipper, you know, for instance um Dippers have like a 10% decrease in their blood pressure versus non-dippers having about a 10% increase. So 10%. If face value doesn't seem like that much, the reason why this this kind of debate even happens in the first place, um, besides just the the results of the MAPEC trial, was um, there was a meta-analysis from I believe it was 2014 um, that showed that uh, patients that have um, even like a small percentage, even like around that 10% range of increase in blood pressure. So the non-dippers at night, um, had a, uh, increased risk of MI and stroke. Um, that was kind of like a predictor of having increased, um, cardiovascular events. So that's another thing. There's lots of other, you know, moving parts that have, that have shown that this seems to be dangerous and something we need to be thinking about. But I think a lot of times we just often say, I just take it whenever it's convenient. once yeah. a day, who cares? And so it's just something more to kind of consider and put in your toolbox so if you have a patient that's you know you've done all the right things they're still having issues with blood pressure control then it would definitely be something to consider the other thing would be as far as outcomes because their blood pressure may be controlled so do you just leave it as is or do you switch one of the doses at bedtime one thing that can help kind of you kind know, of figure that out is have them get some like upon awakening blood pressure measurements if they have a blood pressure cuff at home and see if it's actually elevated yeah Because then that, or if you can do like 24-hour like ambulatory care uh, or ambulatory blood pressure monitoring, um, that may also give you a better, you you know, recommendation on when to dose the medications. But at least get that blood pressure when they first wake up and then maybe like later in the evening and see how uh, how it it adjusts. If it is higher in the morning when they first wake up, they may be a non-dipper and maybe a good candidate
1: yeah and you don't have to wait till they're maxed out on you know three medications to do this either it could prevent them from having to go on an additional medication uh, which some people complain about the adherence issue I remember bringing this up to somebody when I was a student um, and they they mentioned that they have enough trouble getting their patients to take it once a day Uh, but if you can have one less medication to take because of this I think that'd be helpful and if you can prevent them from dying so this this, uh, study was only six years uh, and you had that significant of an increase in uh, or decrease in mortality, I'd say it's worth trying to get him to do
0: it. Yeah. And the other thing that I was a little, I guess, confused about is the whole diuretic concern, like where they're given a thiazide diuretic, and they're like, well, maybe not that one at night because of the nocturnal you know, uh, urination. I'm like, usually a couple weeks into your thiazide diuretic treatment, uh, that that whole frequent urination side effect tends to minimize itself ideally so but then you
1: have i would i would only say if you have a man who might be already having those issues or ph or something or they just convince themselves that that's the reason that they're peeing at night even though it might not necessarily be then they might stop taking it but yeah um,
0: that's true so um you know just something to think about with 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 all these uh different medications out there you know something to consider bedtime dosing is is a big one um, Cole, you started to bring up the, uh, lisinopril. um, you know, for those of you who don't know, you know, lysinopril is half-life because it's something I always ask students because a lot of times we just assume the half-life is around 24 hours because almost one everybody doses lysinopril right. once a day. Um, if you think about the, the half-life, it's actually 12 hours. So the effects may last the full day, maybe. Um, but the true half-life to the drugs in your system, you're at steady state, um, you know, is only about 12 hours. Um, and so... I shouldn't say it's steady state. That's the wrong terminology there before right. someone corrects me. But <laughs> the, the, is that, the four ha- to five half-lives. Yeah, is exactly. State? So before someone blast me on that one, let me correct myself. Um, <laughs> so the, uh, the it's half-life Dr. is 12 hours. Um, Dr. Weiss is going to come on here Yeah, just get you. some an mini Um, but, uh, so, so the, uh, half-life is 12 hours. And so ideally speaking from a kinetic standpoint, we probably would want to dose the drug on the half-life. So, Lisinopril could, in theory, be a twice-a-day medication. Um, and there was actually a study in 2017 that was a, a retrospective cohort that showed um, that you got additional blood pressure lowering when you switched to lisinopril 20 milligrams twice a day versus lisinopril 40 milligrams once a day. Um, and so same total daily dose, but the dose was split, and you got better blood pressure lowering, better blood pressure control. So something to kind of think about there.
1: Yeah, it wasn't a huge study, and of course it was retrospective, but it, it was kind of a proof of concept, it seems, because I think there's a lot of cardiologists who have kind of been had this idea for a while. Um, and, I mean, they're, they are teaching it, it now. I know that my new students coming through um, are being taught to try to get you know, pearl dose twice daily, though I will say pharmac- clinical, or, uh, retail pharmacists out there, how many times are you counting or how many times your technicians counting 60 lisinopril not very often Mm -hmm. it's all or 180 less um so they're still doing once a day uh, but it's definitely an option to consider and you know as long as you're not having um adherence issues i say why not yeah and that's
0: always the thing is everybody's always worried about adherence and stuff like that and i get it and it's definitely important but um you know i mean i I don't know put in a Give the patient a pill pill box if you need to. Like, you know, help them out with adherence. As I best feel like you that can. was a
1: huge thing that people talked about. That it, it was just always pushed in school and during rotations and stuff. But I don't know. I don't
0: have. I feel like my, my patients seem to take their meds. I don't. I don't have too many issues with it, honestly. Yeah. I, I mean, and I mine's more so like I, I try to make it easy, like with the injectables, like for my diabetes patients. But regular hypertensive meds, I have. I don't have a ton of patients that I get pushed back on. Yeah. The number of them. Per day, it's like they're pretty well tolerated. It's not like my foreman's gonna yeah. get a bunch of diarrhea. I think it just depends. Yeah, but um, yeah. So so less uh, twice a day, may be something to consider if you're having issues. And and again, we're bringing up all these for you know the three kind of first line treatments, if you will. The trifecta is either ACE or ARB plus thiazide diuretic plus calcium channel blocker. Mm-hmm. So if the patient's on all three of those. You know, we have a tendency and, and I know this happens a lot at my clinic, we have a tendency of primary care just to add on a fourth line agent. Mm-hmm. You know, resistant hypertension is still on that fourth line. Mm-hmm. But there's some tricks and tips that we can kind of do ahead of time to eliminate maybe a fourth agent. So right. lysinopril twice a day, even though technically that's another t- another tablet, um, is still still cost wise. Still cost wise gonna be about the same and then you know, it keeps them from taking an additional medication. Yeah. So trying that. Um, thiazide diuretic is another one. So if we, we, the majority of patients that we see are going to be on HCTZ, which you've heard Cole and I crap on that multiple times. And so every, know, day. Every, every day, every day. And so, uh, if you think about that, the half-life of, of HCTZ is around 12 hours or so as well. So that technically should be a twice daily medication as well, which it's never dosed that way. No. So if you look at some of like those, um, uh, meta-analyses and things like that that compare the blood pressure lowering ability of hctz versus like chlorothiazide or endapamide that actually may account for that big difference because you're going to get about five five or more millimeters of mercury with chlorothiazide lowering and then also uh, around eight or more milligrams of mercury um systolic lowering with endapamide compared to hctz mm-hmm. and so According to the meta-analysis that came out, and um, that doesn't even consider outcome data. Exactly, that's just straight blood pressure lowering. Yeah. And so, the uh, which you know you've heard our thoughts on that multiple times. Don't treat the number, treat the results. Who cares if they have good blood pressure if they end up having a heart attack or stroke? But um, the uh, the the fact that we don't dose HTT twice a day may play into you know into that a little bit. But clozapine or adapamine would definitely be the better the better mm-hmm. of the two. Uh, thiazide diuretics to use on an outcome basis and their half-life is long um, 24 hours or more and so uh, definitely a better option to use if you truly want a real once daily medication mm-hmm. and speaking
1: of the non-dippers it seems like if you're doing that one in the morning that would be better for them as well yeah um, lasting a full 24 hours yeah and as long as we're talking about ideal medications beta blockers beta blockers can always swap them out for one of these first three yes um, Stop
0: using beta blockers and hypertension.
1: love the beta blockers and I sure get that do. there might be comorbid conditions where that's um, necessary but just for straight um, hypertension not first second or third or fourth or fifth probably not even fourth <laughs> probably
0: fifth. fifth is the first time I would kind of consider yeah, I'd put
1: it ahead of doxazosin and prazosin and that sort of thing
0: but yeah, um, that's about it way behind pretty much everything else so, all right, let's recap a little bit since we've been a little bit all over the place. So, first thing you can look at if you have a patient that's on the normal standard medications, first thing you can look at is bedtime dosing for one of those medications. Our opinion, or at least mine, probably Cole's, uh, would be the ace or arb at nighttime ideally. Um, you could also look at splitting if it's Lexapro that they're on. You can look at splitting uh, the dose, and I would encourage you to also look at. You know, if they're on something else that you're not familiar with, maybe benazapril or, um, you know, quinapril or something like that, look at the half life if you're not familiar with it and seeing if it's in a candidate for possibly splitting it. Um, and then if they're on a thiazide diuretic, then making sure it's either dosed properly as far as twice a day if you are going to use HTZ, or a better option would be just to switch to chlorothalonone or Dapamide and you get better control that way. Um, Cole brought up beta blockers, which is a very good point, and since we're talking about that, let's let's mention Atenolol specifically. So, you've heard all we've heard both of us talk badly about Atenolol, yet a ton of patients are on Atenolol. So, where does that come from? Um, so, if you haven't heard us talk about this before, um, Atenolol uh, gets a bad rep for, one, because a beta blocker is not an ideal blood pressure lowering when you're treating just primary hypertension, just like Cole said. Um, but specifically atenolol because there was a meta-analysis that was published in lancet of 2004 and what it looked at was the first line results were looking at atenolol versus placebo and then we're looking specifically at uh, outcome data so not just blood pressure lowering and so atenolol versus placebo if you look at all-cause mortality cardiovascular mortality mi stroke no difference between atenolol and placebo the patients that were on that. None. It's like taking a sugar pill. So atenolol, yes, while it may have lowered their blood pressure in the initial kind of uh, onset of taking it, it, you didn't see any sort of a difference in outcome data. So, again, why lower the blood pressure if you're just going to end up passing away from the same event anyway? Um, and then when they also, the second part of the meta-analysis is they actually uh, compared atenolol versus other antihypertensives, so it could be other um, agents that we use. When they did that, um, all-cause mortality actually had a number needed to harm with Atenolol. So you saw an increase in mortality with Atenolol compared to other agents. The number needed to harm was 111, which, again, is a larger number, but uh, something that, you know, if you look at how many people are in this country are probably on Atenolol, (laughs) um, we could prevent one extra death if we switch them to a different antihypertensive medication. Um, stroke uh, had a number needed to harm of 77. So it's something that it would be a good idea to probably get rid of Atenolol out of our lives. We don't think we need it. We got better options. Just boycott Atenolol. It's got a very short half-life, and yet we always dose it once a day. Um, so that's a whole other issue. So it's just one of those things. Why are we using Atenolol? Get it out of here. It's trash. Probably, I mean, that
1: same reason they use HCTZ because of the price. It's we trash. need to uh, just... We just need to start developing drugs, and we can make a like ace arb chlorthaladone combination.
0: Mm, mm. Yeah, or endapamine, and less than pro combo. Because it's because the H T T Z is in all these combos. Uh huh. That's why they use it. Yeah. It's easy and it's cheap. It's true. We can use the uh what was the one they used parandapril with endapamide <laughs> and that progress <laughs> yeah post stroke. Yep. But yeah, that's what we did. I'm sure that has that drug has to be in, around in like yeah Europe or something. Sure. I why don't not? know. Why not? Anyways, the uh, yeah, so Atenolol, get rid of it. It's not good. Um, um, also with
1: the most recent ACC AHA blood pressure guidelines, which I think was our very first episode because these came out in it was, 2017. yeah. Very first episode. Um, they talk a lot about white coat hypertension. So if, if the patient especially is checking it at home and is convinced that the levels are different or if they're asking about a recalibrated uh, blood pressure monitor, um, make sure that they're using a couple at home and it could be that it's just higher in your office, then, um, it is when they're at home. And that's a real thing. And
0: they mentioned in the guideline to keep an eye out for that for sure. I, uh, I was joking with a patient one time, uh, cause I, I was, I can't remember what I was actually, I think it was just wearing regular like business cash clothes, mm-hmm. but, um, that was taking, I was taking their blood pressure myself and she said, uh, well, I'm, I'm I always have white coat hypertension. and Well, I was like, well, I have great news. I'm not wearing white coat. <laughs> she started laughing. It's just—it's <laughs> it, always good to make your patients laugh during a blood pressure med- blood pressure reading. I think that's been proven. its
1: I don't have white coat hypertension, but I went to the dentist the other day, and, I mean, they're just strapping the thing on me, and I can feel my heart just start beating real fast. It's weird. Oh. I can only imagine somebody who gets, like, I don't know, anxiety or something by it. I'm sure their blood pressure increases. Yeah. Not me. I'm not scared of dentists at all, Cole. Hey,
0: no cavities. <laughs> that's good. None. Good, 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 good. Yeah, the uh, so the other thing I want to mention real quick too about uh, beta blockers, since we just said not to use them in their fifth or sixth line and yada yada yada. Um, again, if you haven't heard some of our earlier stuff, we've discussed this and kind of explained some of our philosophies. We don't just call it medications trash for no reason. We usually have some sort of data to back it up. Mm-hmm. So um, the uh, the beta blocker, the reason why we don't necessarily like this because atenolol is cardio selective. So if that's your first thought of like non-cardio selective versus select you know, selective, then that's really not really what we're worried about in this case. because um, it's an alpha selective. So the the thing that I kind of think about is if 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 you're lowering the heart rate, which is what a beta blocker is essentially doing. Um initially, yes, you you probably will get some blood pressure lowering and um you know you're gonna get because if you decrease heart rate, um, heart rate times uh, stroke volume equals cardiac output so yes you should get a decrease in your overall blood pressure but the thing to keep in mind is that the other part of that equation is when you get the cardiac output times the total peripheral resistance is kind of what can um, give you an overall value well if you have, you're blocking your beta receptors, well, then norepinephrine still has to bind somewhere. And so if you have binding to alpha receptors in the periphery with the norepinephrine, you're going to get this vasoconstriction over time, which increases your total peripheral resistance over time, which then could actually make blood pressure go back up again. Um, So if you're going to use a beta blocker in hypertension, this is actually straight out of the guidelines. Um, They say that you shouldn't be using a regular beta blocker, whether it's selective or non-selective, you should be using an alpha beta blocker. Mm-hmm. So carvetalol mm-hmm. or labetalol, those yeah. two are the ones that they specifically mention to use in the in the guidelines if you are going to use a beta blocker. And they say that's based, basically their fifth line recommendation. Um, for fourth line agents, if you did have to add one on, they specifically say spernalactone mm-hmm. or pleranone would be the two to go with instead of the uh, beta blocker, or like Cole was saying, like doxazosin or something. Um, and the reason for that's the pathway two trial where they compared with patients with resistance uh, hyper- resistant hypertension. They compared spironolactone, bisoprolol, and doxazosin, and spironolactone was significantly better. So, yeah, we don't we're not just saying beta blockers are trash. for the heck of it, this is you know not our opinion. It's based on what's the current evidence. So nice. there you go, dropping some patho knowledge on them got to so much path on knowledge or very little very basic concepts before I get called narcissistic again on the comments (laughs) we are two humble men to catch that real quick just sharing (laughs) sharing what knowledge we have learned from others from much much smarter individuals (laughs) Um, that's what I would say if somebody's like oh man you're you know if I ever hear the comment you're smart I would just say no I'm really not I just I just memorized what a bunch of actual smart people said But, all right, so what else? What else we got? Uh, that's about all I got for the most part as far as tips. Cool. Um, but keep in mind, too, and we'll mention this, and uh, kind of backtracking a little bit, um, back to thiazide diuretics. So we mentioned um, the chlorthalidone and dapamide. Uh, those do have the better outcome data, um, right? And the HTC really doesn't have any outcome data. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing to keep in mind is we know that, if you're on a thiazide diuretic, you expect a decrease in potassium, um, decrease in sodium, um, those things. Uh, however, thing to keep in mind is that if if you think about the study that was done with indapam or um, excuse me specifically, the SHEP trial, so systolic hypertension in the elderly. Um, one thing that they noticed in a secondary analysis of the SHIP trial was that if a patient's potassium fell below 3.5, then we actually lost all of the mortality benefit that we gained from using a quote-unquote evidence-based thiazide, mm-hmm. which didn't So one thing to keep in mind is that it, it may be a good option to make sure that the patient's potassium is staying above 4 mm-hmm. so that you don't run the risk of going below 3.5. Yeah. So that's another trick. Because you don't want to spend a lot of time getting them on an evidence-based thiazide and then lose all the benefits.
1: Yeah, I think generally, like if you ask cardiologists, they say yeah, we want it before four pretty uh-huh. much all the time. If they have heart failure or any other heart issue, they're like yeah, keep it above four. Yeah,
0: not a bad idea. Not a bad idea at all. But uh, yeah, so indapamide chlorothiazide. I know we've had a lot of success with chlorothiazide specifically at our clinic. Um, I dispense a lot of chlorothiazide, and I remember when we
1: first talked about this topic, I was dispensing some indapamide. I haven't seen it in a while.
0: It's, uh, it's still, I believe it's still on the $4 list at Walmart, too. Yeah. So it's it's still cheap. And I think that's the big concern, like you said earlier, Cole, was the cost of it. Mm-hmm. HTC is so cheap. But it's definitely something that is very affordable nowadays. And so we would encourage you to switch people to that. Yeah. I guess we'll end on, I started to say this earlier, but um, we'll, we can end with the accomplished trial since we always talk about you know outcome data and all this, that, and the other. One of the big arguments you hear against that is, well, if I'm lowering the blood pressure, then what does it matter? I've even heard that is a justification for atenolol, which is nonsense. But um, you know the the argument to that, or I guess my I guess rebuttal to that is is the the accomplished trial outcome. So if you think about the accomplished where they took benazepril and HCTZ versus benazepril and amlodipine, and we're looking at outcome data at the end of the study, the blood pressures in both groups were about the same. So they had lowered the blood pressure effectively in both groups regardless of the medications, yet they ended up stopping it early because they had reduction in cardiovascular, you know, death, MI, all that from the benazapril and amlidipine group. So it's not just a matter of lowering the blood pressure. We do actually got to think about outcomes, which is why we mention all these different things. Um, It's not just good enough to lower the blood pressure. So keep that in mind. Um, you know, going forward, we're not treating numbers; we're treating patients. And unless you're unless you're treating cholesterol, then you're back to numbers again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: The numbers with cholesterol. Uh, Darn it! I don't kinda, know. I like that better. That kind of
0: throws off our uh, our saying there. But whatever. Well, but yeah. treating numbers with statins, yeah.
1: But I guess, really, they just want you to get to the number, even when you look at the guidelines.
0: Because I guess that results in the outcomes, so that's fine. Whatever. Yeah, sure. But blood pressure doesn't seem to have that same correlation, so let's kind of keep that in mind. Um, But, yeah, that's kind of uh, the big argument with that. You'll hear a lot of people say, well, their blood pressure is lower, so who cares? Well, the patient having a stroke might care. (laughs) So, well, there it is. That's a couple tips and tricks for some adding on before you have to add on a bunch of medications, maybe trying some of those to see if you can get the blood pressure down or at least get them on optimal therapy. Yeah. What else? Cole, anything good? That's all I got, man. Keep cool. it short today. I suppose. Yeah. Given it, it's only 30 minutes or so. Yeah. Two minutes. I don't know. So, you know, but, uh, cool. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. We'll definitely, uh, start trying to crank out more episodes here um, and then not too distant future and we'll we'll get our lives back on track and uh, start posting these things. But thank you guys so much for listening. Um, I hope all y'all are having a good New Year so far. Uh, We can, you know, your continued support really does mean a lot to us. Thank you guys for the comments and the emails and all that good stuff. Um, If you need to get in touch with us for anything, um, make sure you send us an email that is in the show notes. Um, You can also uh, text us directly. Um, It's area code 415 nine four three six one one six and you'll get like an automated response that'll ask you to like add us to your phone book and all this that and the other Um, there's a form you fill out that gives us some some information basically just so we know what your specialty is and that if we send out like a mass text that we don't bombard you with spam that you might not want Um, but fill that out and then if you ever have questions or anything um, reach out to us over text we're more than happy to help and uh, yeah or any social media platforms anything like that there's lots of ways to talk to us I actually made a joke about that with uh the I was speaking at the Kennedy Center at um USC in mm-hmm. Columbia, South Carolina, uh last Saturday and I made a joke and about how you can use social media to reach uh, people that you wanna network with and things. And I said, Look, I said I'm really proud of you for all you all coming on, you know, up here on a Saturday and like spending all day at this event. And I'm like, But realistically speaking and, and I'm like and I'm you know, I'm sure the people it that, that put this thing on aren't super happy I'm saying this, but I was like realistically speaking every single person in this room could have talked to me directly over Instagram and I I would have been happy to give you my phone number. (laughs) Uh, They all started laughing. So I was like, you should have been like,
1: that would have saved me a lot of time (laughs) driving
0: all the way to Columbia. uh, Call me on a Saturday. What's going on? (laughs) No, no, it's fun. And and I'm all for like going to conferences and stuff, but it's kind of crazy how quickly people can use social media to get in touch with people. Mm -hmm. But anyways, um, so thank you guys so much for the support and we will see you next time. Later.